1954, a U.S. marshal is sent to a remote psychiatric institution to investigate the disappearance of a patient. What he finds is a spider's web of manipulation, murder, torture, and conspiracy. Or maybe not. Maybe it's all in his head. Maybe he's so damaged by his past that this investigation is a cover-up in his own mind. Maybe, just maybe, we should discuss the film and find out for ourselves on today's episode, the 2010 Martin Scorsese psychological thriller Shutter Island. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And welcome to Filmgasm. Very happy Wednesday to you, dear listener. If you're new to the show, this is the Filmgasm podcast, where me and my esteemed partner in crime dissect and discuss two movies a week, horror movie on Wednesday, non-horror on Friday. Today's choice, a divisive film that some call one of Scorsese's best films and others call a tragic misfire, Shutter Island, a film I have tried to like many times and just can't do it. Sorry to fans of the film out there, but I have already made a decision on this one. Just, <laughs> just not for you. Yeah, just not yeah. for me. And I, I love and, everybody. And totally understandable. Uh, I think, I think everything that Scorsese has done this past decade is is totally up for debate. Um, Shutter Island, Wolf of Wall Street, Silence, uh, The Irishman, all these movies. Um, I, 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 if you went one way or the other, I totally understand. Yeah. Well, this one, I want so badly to like it because I love everybody involved. I love Scorsese. I love the idea. I love the tone. But I can't get there. It's I just can't. I, I don't like it. <laughs> and I feel bad that I don't like it. I should like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it definitely has like all of the you know trademarks that you, you would love or that I would love. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Ruffalo. Uh, it's it's a very got a lot of horror elements. Uh, John Carroll Lynch has a really cool performance in it. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of people pop up. Um, and you would think, yeah, because of the tone and because of the way it, you know, it was marketed, you would think we would absolutely love it. But it is it, the the ending especially causes so much conversation, so much debate. Uh, is he insane or is it all, you know, like what's going on? Uh, and, and, you know. That's that's tough, but I think the journey to get there, I think the music's really good in it. I think the performances along the way are really good. I think the production design is really really good, and and at times it's pretty fucking spooky, and it, it checks those it checks those boxes for me, and uh, it kind of holds a special place for me because it was, a, it was the first R-rated movie I saw in theaters. I was 15. <laughs> this came out in 2010, so I was 15, and uh, my dad took it took me to see it, and I just you know I was like wow this is you know this is amazing, you know, like this kind of caliber film I'm able to see, you know, in theaters now because my parents thought I was old enough. <laughs> it, it was cool. You know, I'll never forget that. That was the first movie. So it'll always, you know, hold a special place in my heart. I've owned it for I've owned it for years now, but I, I definitely understand the the flack it gets and the kind of confusion that people have. Like, what's the big deal about it? I totally get it. I'm not um, someone who's going to be like, oh, if you don't like this movie, you're dumb. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just think that's that's a silly way to think. Um, and I, I, again, I think that's the way all of his movies are this past decade. They're just kind of, you know, I, you and I agree that the Irishman just didn't really hit us as hard as everybody else. Um, yeah. I know you're not a huge fan of silence. Um, nah. the, the Wolf of Wall Street has this like 
extremely audacious and weird soundtrack that throws me off completely, but is filled with great performances. So there, it's all, it's interesting, man. And, uh, you know, this is guy, this guy's looked at as one of the best, uh, directors of all time. So, uh, I'm really excited to kind of dive into this movie today. Oh, for sure, man. Uh, before we get there, I've got one update for you on bonus episode two, scary yeah. stories to tell in the dark. Wow. Okay. An upcoming sequel was announced with director Andre Overdahl and screenwriters Dan and Kevin Hageman returning. Yes. No word yet on whether the cast will be returning, but I would bet, yeah, it left it. The first one left it pretty open for a sequel, and uh, I'm excited. Scary Stories is one of the best surprises of 2019, and I cannot wait for more. Yeah, truly one of the most terrifying moments of 2019. Without <laughs> took place in that, that in that film yeah i uh, definitely oh. check that one out yeah if you if you like horror at all that one kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit but uh, uh super excited to see what unfolds we talked a bit about uh i don't remember what episode it was but we did talk about how 2019 was not a great year for horror films it was a uh, kind of it was hit or miss more miss scary stories is one of those ones that hit that movie yes. was creepy as shit <laughs> yeah yeah man and we got to see that one together that was a fun one we kind of it, we both knew like hey yeah this could be a miss we knew that going into it and yeah. it's just such a it's such a rewarding feeling <laughs> when you leave the theater like holy shit that was actually pretty good you know uh yeah <laughs> that was a fun one man yeah absolutely so we already know uh you picked shutter island because it's a uh special film for you it's your first r-rated movie seen at the theaters yeah um my personal experience with Shutter Island has has been kind of uh, I, I forgot about it for a while. I um I saw it in 2010 with my grandpa. Saw it in theaters, yeah. I did. I saw it in theaters, yeah. and I was kind of like, I was in for most of the movies. Like this is creepy, this is neat, and then the twist happened, and I was out. I lo- I was like, no way. It completely yeah. erases everything I liked about the movie, and then I just kind of cast it aside and then one day i was at a i was at a blockbuster everything must go sale (laughs) (laughs) and i got shutter island for like two bucks and i didn't watch it i just put it on the shelf and i didn't take (coughs) it out until this podcast (laughs) yeah 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 so i i I knew you had a like a a awkward awkward relationship with it (laughs) it's one of those you know it's it's the movie. It's a movie I want to like, but every time I try to watch it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is why I don't like the movie. It's like a friend. It's like this guy, you know, that everyone says like, oh, that's so cool. You gotta meet this guy, and you meet him, and he's a prick. And then you don't meet him for ten years, and then you talk, go to talk to him, and you're like, oh yeah, that's why I don't hang out with you. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, if if I'm not mistaken, I, I I think I'm at least I'm not a fan of the other 2010 movie that Leonardo DiCaprio appeared in inception. Yeah. I don't like that movie either. Yeah. That one to me was a huge letdown. And then shutter Island was like, all right, that was cool. Um, for me anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I remember that was a big year for Leo. Oh yes. Inception. We got to do that on the show sometime just to try to unpack that motherfucker. But I, I've never liked inception. I find it, very strange, hard to follow, and I do not like the fanboys, the people who call Inception the greatest movie ever, and if you don't get it, you're a goddamn moron. I hate that. This movie, that movie carries a stigma because of that. Yeah, well, it's like Inception 
at, when it first came out, it was cool to like it because it was like, oh, dream within a dream, man. You know, it's out there. And then it became not cool. And then, it, you know, then it was cool. Like, I don't know. I, I don't really know what people think about it now. But, I, yeah, I've never really never really been a fan. Um, like I said, Shutter Island, from that year anyway, was the one I remembered. And that's yeah. kind of crazy. I think a lot of people would think the other way. But um, <laughs> and, and I, I do think I don't want to just talk, you know, Leo, you know, we're going to talk about the other people. But I think Mark Ruffalo gives a really cool performance here that's a little bit understated, underrated. And uh, that seems to happen to him a lot where he just gets kind of overlooked because he's just consistently working and doing all kinds of roles. And uh, as we unpack this, yeah, he's just he's awesome in this, man. What he has to do is really cool. I think this film is some of Ben Kingsley's best work in years. Oh, dude. Oh, my gosh. Frightening. Oh, for sure. But then again. It's not frightening once you once the twist. Yeah. The twist yeah. really kills everything that comes before it, and this movie is suddenly a completely different film. And I, ugh, ah, we'll get there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Shutter Island was based on the 2003 novel of the same name by Dennis Lehane, who also wrote Mystic River, Live by Night, Animal Rescue, and Gone Baby Gone, all of which were made into films as well. And uh, you said you read the book, right, Shutter Island? Yeah, right. I, I read it shortly after I saw the movie. So yeah, it's been years, but, um, uh, I, what I remember is it was very similar and I actually looked up some stuff about it. I was like, what, do, like, what, what were the differences? And, and there are some differences, you know, towards the end with a twist. And the main thing that's different in the book from what I remember is you don't necessarily feel sympathetic towards Teddy Daniels, the main character towards, and then with Leo, it's kind of like, ah, that's tough. You know, it's, a uh, makes it a little more difficult because you're kind of like rooting for him, you know? Yeah. Well, like you said, you know, Leo has this likability about him that he brings to all of his characters minus one. And we all know who that is, but, um, yeah, yeah. But (laughs) I love that. I like, love that performance. (laughs) That character is such an evil piece of shit that you can't help but be mesmerized by him. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean that, that one and, and, you know, uh, Hans Landa are like, come on, man. Like those are just such evil menacing, but they're like hilarious. <laughs> and I, I about, want more. Yeah. We're talking about Calvin Candy and Django Unchained, by the way, the most yeah. evil son of a bitch that Tarantino ever created. But I don't know him and Landa. That's a, that's a racist contest. I would not want to have to choose between. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you got, you got, yeah, that's a whole different debate. <laughs> The evil slave owner versus the evil Nazi. Who do you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. But goddamn, there's some good performances. Yeah, man. Oh. Uh, Shutter Island was directed by Oscar-winning director Martin Scorsese, one of the living legends of modern cinema. His resume speaks for itself. On the show, I think the only Scorsese we've gone in depth on was The Irishman. Yeah, but unfortunately. We've also brought up Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy as major influences on Joker, our eighth bonus episode. He finally won his first and only Oscar to date for directing The Departed, but he has also been nominated for directing 1980's Raging Bull, 1988's The Last Temptation of Christ, 1990's Goodfellas, 2002's Gangs of New York, 2004's The Aviator, 2011's Hugo, 2013's The Wolf of Wall Street, and 2019's The Irishman. And that's just scratching the surface of this man's filmography. This man has been doing incredible work since the 60s. And he's still working, man. Still delivering incredible films. 
I barely tapped into his filmography. I have to just take a Scorsese month. <laughs> what what's what's the first one that you think you need to see that you haven't? The first one I need to see is Mean Streets. Oh yeah, that's 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 yeah. in like my top three or four. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, and that I think the second one I really want to see is Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Yeah, I I, I need to rewatch that one. It's been it's been a while because yeah, I I actually went back maybe three four years ago. I did like a Scorsese sort of like oh let's try to see as much as I could. Oh, and sweet. and honestly, my favorite thing he's done is the Last Waltz documentary. Yeah, from 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 the late seventies. Uh, just breathtaking his like understanding of the big picture and what was happening in music and how it was going to change in the eighties. Uh, yeah. It's just, you know, amazing, but like normal movies. Yeah, dude, taxi driver. I mean, we've talked about Goodfellas plenty. I think it was on your nineties list, right? Yeah. That's easily my favorite Scorsese. No contest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, he has so much different kinds of stuff. What's your favorite of the, the newer stuff? The newer, uh, define newer, like 2010 to now. Yeah, yeah, from Shutter Island to now, yeah. Probably Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I, I think me too. Uh, but I, man, I know you're not a big fan of Silence, but dude, that movie is deep as hell. Silence is beautiful, but it's boring. <sighs> I don't know. That's <laughs> Sorry. Hard. It's hard. It's hard for me to like say. I don't know. There's too many movies I like love that are probably classified as boring to most people for me to, <laughs> for me to call it boring i don't know i don't know i i, I, I see liked, what you're saying though i see what you're saying i liked hugo a lot more than i thought i was going to oh, dude so good yeah. yeah well yeah i mean uh raging bull i mean a boxing movie in black and white from 1980 just completely uh, turning against the current and going way way left when everybody else is going right and you know doing color all over the place and doing crazy stuff in the 80s and he's like oh, i think i'm gonna make like a old school <laughs> black and white film about a boxer that's just yeah mad respect to him dude the king of comedy like having oh, robert dude. de niro right <laughs> after raging bull play a bumbling yeah. like psychotic aspiring comedian oh what? man <laughs> yeah dude unbelievable oh, my god he can do anything and he has yeah. done everything it's yeah scorsese's a, a master of the craft and we will one day do a weird shit wednesday on the man and uh, that'll be fun, but we won't be doing any weird shit Wednesdays till the quarantine gets lifted. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the amount of prep that goes into those, we need to we need to do the, those in person. It's they're important. Agreed, agreed. <laughs> uh, the film stars Oscar winner Leonardo DiCaprio as U.S. Marshal Teddy Daniels. DiCaprio is another highly respected actor and Hollywood icon who finally won his first Oscar for his performance. In 2015's The Revenant, he's also been nominated for his performances in 1993's What's Eating Gilbert Grape, 2004's The Aviator, 2006's Blood Diamond, 2013's The Wolf of Wall Street, and 2019's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's one of my favorite actors, and he's and he's easily the best thing about this movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, he carries it. There's multiple scenes where he is doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, particularly one of my favorites is when he's questioning that one patient and he's fucking using the pencil. Just there's little things like that, that Leo just pulls off really well. But I do think that someone else maybe could have played this. It's just, you know, Scorsese and DiCaprio just have this, this bond. That's unbelievable. Oh yeah. Ever since gangs in New York, they've been knocking them out. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, The Aviator is underrated, man. That's a good movie. That's a great movie. I love yeah. seeing him play Howard Hughes. He's yeah. such a crazy human being, Howard Hughes. I Yeah, I know. You can't even, like, explain that guy to people who don't know him. <laughs> well, yeah, we haven't, we haven't really brought up The Departed too much. I mean, that's like, I mean, come on, talk about a movie that changed the way I kind of perceive things that you know along with like all the tarantino stuff i saw like in my you know middle school years you're like holy shit you know the just the amount the amount of of you know coarse language that's in that is just is crazy you know and you just it kind of it kind of changes the way you look at how people talk it's crazy oh it's nuts the departed was one of the early scorsese flicks i saw me too and yeah it's it's such a badass film it's a lot of people give it flack for being you know a remake of a of a Chinese film and then also being uh, like, um, you know, too similar to Goodfellas. But and, you know, they think that the Academy just gave him the Oscar because he was Scorsese. That movie is it deserves best picture. It deserves best director. That movie's a fucking masterpiece. And just, even if it is a remake, Scorsese and Nicholson and Wahlberg and Damon and DiCaprio and Baldwin and Sheen made it their own. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. I will watch. I just watched it uh, a few weeks ago. Such a fantastic movie. Yeah, that's one of those that I can kind of um, I think it's like, you know, heavily rewatchable. And I think you can consistently go back and kind of jump in at any point um, because you're going to hear an F word every five seconds. So you're going to start laughing and then you're going to see Jack Nicholson do something completely off the wall. And then you're going to hear Mark Wahlberg talk about, you know, his mom and his dad <laughs> you know it's just uh yeah the movie is like wicked entertaining um i really what, what else came out that year in 06 that would have been up for best picture uh 06 um i can't even think man yeah i don't even departed eclipsed fucking everything i uh off the top of my head the queen yeah yeah um, yeah letters from Iwo Jima, i think that's a good uh, one pan's labyrinth but that wasn't up for best picture yeah, dude, I, I, 2006 is a year that's lost. I'll look them up as you uh, continue. Yeah. Um, I f- so, in regards to Leo, what are some of your favorite Leo performances? Rick fucking Dalton. Rick fucking Dalton, yes. That to, that to me, I think people are, I think people are batshit crazy to have, to have totally damn near dismiss what he did in that movie. Uh, yes, Brad Pitt was amazing. Yes, Brad Pitt is hot as hell and gets to take his shirt off and smoke cigarettes and be cool as hell. Leonardo DiCaprio is doing more. Leonardo DiCaprio is all over the place in that movie. Leonardo DiCaprio plays one of the best drunks I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio uses a goddamn thr- flamethrower in the movie. I, I, you know, I, I think that role is kind of going to get forgotten a little bit because of just kind of what happened at the Oscars with Cliff Booth just was like this all time character and Parasite, you know, came out of nowhere. And I'm like, when I look back at 2019, that's the performance that stands out to me is Rick (laughs) fucking Dalton. Hell yeah, man. Well said. I watched that today, like literally today at work. I watched too easy time in Hollywood and it's just the best. It's so much fun. My my favorite movie scene of 2019 is Rick Dalton telling off the goddamn hippies with a blender of margaritas in his hand, just drinking from it like, like it's fucking nothing. Perfect. <laughs> Bunch of goddamn fucking hippies. Just so <laughs> angry. <laughs> oh, beautiful. 
I love it so much. Um, one of my favorites is uh, is Blood Diamond. Leo, uh, yeah, un- underrated. Yeah, that movie is such a fucking goldmine, and I had never really heard it discussed in like you know movie circles. Like people don't really talk about that one. And I watched it, and I was mesmerized. I mean, everybody in that is so good. Yeah, and it's such a tense thriller. And yeah, Leo's just—I love his arc of just you know self-serving scumbag to sacrifice like sacrificial lamb. It's so great. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, Leo is one of those reliable guys who's always going to turn out good work. Always has been. And uh, the Revenant was fucking great. He really destroyed himself for that oh one. My God, dude. <laughs> Unreal. And it's going to be tough to top Rick Dalton. But uh, I'm interested yeah, I, to see what he does. Uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape? He, um, you know, does just, you know, does does stuff on the screen that um, I don't think many people can do because uh, you have to be like a certain first off, you have to be a certain age to do it. And he just kind of hit that. It just was like perfect timing. And that that role is so powerful. Um, but the uh, de- Departed, this is an interesting group, man. Um this would be the 79th Academy Awards. Oh yes, when, de- when Departed won, and uh, the other four nominees for Best Picture were The Queen, as you said, <laughs> Letters from Iwo Jima, as you <laughs> said, Little Miss Sunshine, Little Miss Sunshine, and Babel. Babel, I haven't yeah. seen that one. I, I've seen all of those. I like I like all of those. Uh, Little Miss is probably my favorite, and then yeah, then Departed. <laughs> I gotta say, sounds like kind of a weak year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Overall. Yeah, I mean, if that's the five you come up with, yeah, I don't think that's the best. Um, the best, yeah. And that's the same. The directors are the same that year, except Paul Greengrass also was up for United 93. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't look like the best That's the best overall overall year. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm glad. But yeah, so Departed took it, without a doubt. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a landslide. That was probably very easy for people to decide, yeah. yeah. Little Miss Sunshine, I think, in a different year, could have taken that, but... I don't know. I think the part is just you know level all its own. Yeah, Little Miss Sunshine is very much a dark horse kind of movie anyway. Yeah, I, it's it's gonna be tough to, for it to. It, it doesn't have that oomph that most best picture movies have, you know. Yeah. Yeah, way to go. Oscar nominee Mark Ruffalo plays Teddy's martial partner Chuck. Ruffalo has been nominated for his performances in 2010's The Kids Are All Right. 2014's Foxcatcher and 2015's Spotlight. Oh, he's well known for his role as Bruce Banner in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we talked about him at length in our episode on Zodiac. Ruffalo, <laughs> another consistently reliable dude. Yeah. Uh, oh, Marky Mark. <laughs> Marky. Mark. <laughs> Wrong, my, Mark. My, my man, Mark Ruffalo uh, is. I, I say this, I say this a lot. I, I, I like this part of like movie and because uh, you and I are, you and I are still young and I can still remember uh, these kinds of things when I first started really getting into movies. Mark Ruffalo was one of those guys where I was like, man, he's he's a little different, you know. He um specifically Foxcatcher, the way he moves in that movie is almost like he's like a gorilla, you know. He like his shoulders are up, uh, and then you see the same thing in Spotlight where his it, the way he moves is kind of un, it, uncanny, and uh, and then like you said, his his um, you know contribution to the Marvel to the MCU is like, I mean, for, forever you're like a 
you know, an American hero, <laughs> you know, when, when you're a part of the Avengers. So, yeah, he's yeah. just had a hell of a decade. And uh, I encourage people to uh, to check his stuff out. And then, of course, you know, Zodiac is so damn important to to me. And uh, I think to you now at this point, it's uh, yes. a really, re- really cool role for him. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite my favorite thing about doing this show is revisiting these films is finding these films again. And I, I love that. I lo- we've done that with so many now. And yeah, it's just it's the best. It's best yeah, to I, have those back. Yeah, I just like what's cool about this is I like I knew we were doing Shutter Island and I, I it was late one night and I, I had the kids are all right on DVD. And I was like, I'm going to throw that on because we're probably going to talk about Ruffalo. And <laughs> I, hadn't see, I hadn't seen it in a few years. And he's wonderful on that. And uh, yeah, like you said, uh, just like you just put this stuff back in your consciousness and kind of either give it another chance or just just revisit it for fun just to be entertained. It's awesome, man. Have you gotten a chance to see Dark Waters yet? No, but my my brother and my dad both saw it and they loved it. They were like, "Hey, you you got to see this, man. It's a, one of the one of the more underrated movies of uh, 2019." So what I heard it fell heavy under the radar. Ah, no attention. I know, and it I know. So good. Yeah. One day. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll 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 get to that one. Uh, yeah, R- Ruffalo is um, yeah, he's one of those guys that I think could have like a a second part of his career that's very powerful. I think we're I think we're about to see it unfold without a doubt. I watched his interview with GQ where he talked about his uh, characters and I can't believe he almost quit in 2010. Yeah, dude, I, right before he was about to just explode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the kids are all right is the movie that rejuvenated his love of acting. Thank God. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, have you seen that? Not yet. I'll, I'll let you borrow that, man. That is a spectacular piece of uh, uh, all the performances are just like, ah, it's like they're on a stage. It's really it's wonderful fantastic yeah, that's yeah I, mean, I mean i mean yeah mark ruffalo julian morton and that benning come on like well, <laughs> it, it doesn't get much more like higher class than that you know like they're just very good actors straight up yeah absolutely i want to watch that uh oscar winner sir ben kingsley plays the elusive dr Colley. kingsley won his first oscar for his performance in 1982's gandhi and he's been nominated for his performances in 1991's bugsy 2000's Sexy Beast, and 2003's House of Sand and Fog. He used to be really good at picking his scripts, but ever since he appeared in The Love Guru, I've lost a great deal of respect for him. And Iron <laughs> Man 3 did not help. So Yeah, I, I hear that, mixed feelings man. about Ben Kingsley. Me too. Uh, when, when he's good, he's good. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he... Like, I watched his interview with GQ as well, and he... Constantly talks about how he tries to be very selective with the roles he plays. He doesn't want to just play something that's been done to death. And then I'm like, but you were in Blood Rain. Like, shut Oof. the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, come on, man. You lost your dignity a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do. I do. Uh, you know, I respect. Yeah, Gandhi. That performance is pretty, pretty crazy. I haven't really tapped. In, I haven't seen Gandhi or any of his Oscar nomina- nominations. I really haven't explored kingsley because of what he's done lately that's totally fair it's really just that one that i went back and watched because i knew you know what it did at the oscars and i just kind of yeah. uh it was it was years ago i need to rewatch it but i you know this really shutter island is the first time i was like who is that guy okay this guy's cool that was a sick performance you know yeah yeah i agree he is he's good in this i, I thought he's really good in, in hugo it, very good that's a good call yeah but I don't really have enough Kingsley to really like point things out. 
No, neither do I. Neither do I. That's, um, you know, uh, I think there's a, a untapped, for, for me anyway, as a fan, there's like an untapped area of British films, and he'd be a part of that. Yeah. Uh, British actors and whatnot. Just ha- I haven't got around to it. Just you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to watch, man. <laughs> I've heard "Sexy Beast" is insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's always been one that I've heard. Like you know, if you're willing to watch something insane, yeah, go for that. <laughs> yeah. So, def- definitely that one's been on my radar. Um, yeah, but there- there's nothing else that I've been like dying to see of his. You know. Yep, I do. Damn shame. But I'm sure we'll talk about him again at some point. Oh, for sure. He pops up more than more than we know and more than people know, you know. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, the late, great Max Von Sydow plays the sinister Dr. Nehring. Von Sydow has popped up a lot lately on this show, particularly in our episodes on the first two Exorcist films. He died earlier this year at age 90, and uh, he is good in this. Really creepy. <laughs> he sells that shit, man. <laughs> you totally believe that he's like, yeah, this guy would totally put a needle in me and make me feel fucking crazy as hell. Well, this dude, he's he's a Nazi. Like, it's plain and simple. Like, he. So, do you know about Operation Paperclip? Yes. Yeah. 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 Expl- explain though. That's a good. Yeah. So, so, Operation Paperclip was an initiative by the American government to re, uh, to shelter Nazi scientists. And give them new identities and place them in important positions in American uh, society. And I I got the idea that Nehring in this film is one of those people. That he was a Nazi scientist put on this island. Yeah. Which goes a long way towards making the conspiracy a little bit more believable in this movie. For sure. For sure. And – yeah, Max Moncito, he'll always be Father Marin from The Exorcist. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just a great actor. And it's weird how often he's popped up on the show lately, like three, four times. <laughs> yeah, rest in peace, man. That guy, that guy is just a wicked, wicked good actor. Oh, yeah. Underrated, underutilized, I think, especially lately. Uh, Oscar nominee Michelle Williams plays the ghost of Teddy's wife, Dolores who haunts him after he believes he's been fed hallucinogenic drugs. Williams is an underrated actress, I think, who always delivers. She's oh, been nominated. God. Yeah, she's been nominated for her performances in 2005's Brokeback Mountain, 2010's Blue Valentine, 2011's My Week with Marilyn, and 2016's Manchester by the Sea. Yes. And she is unreal <laughs> in everything she does. I, I think she is, yeah, one of the best working like right now um and what she's able to do with like a short amount of time what she does in manchester by the sea is so fucking special and uh yeah it's like something people need to really pay attention to because she have you seen my week with Marilyn? not yet that's next for me for for michelle uh i own that one i don't know if it's on anything right now but it's on netflix okay yeah yeah that Yeah. yeah The, all those ones you mentioned, I love all of those. I've owned, I own all of them. They're all very special to me. Uh, but mo- most of all, Blue Valentine, man, it's just uh, what she does in that movie is pretty, pretty insane. <laughs> I finally watched that recently, and I get it. She is, oh, oh my god. That, uh, yeah, her and Gosling are so on a hard different, to watch. They're on a different level, man. Yeah, because you and, don't, you don't, you don't really like either of them, you know? No, they're both really selfish assholes, but. It's just such it's tough to watch this. It's too real. Blue Valentine. It's too real. Yeah. How it depicts a marriage. 
And it's it's really tough to watch without getting involved emotionally. And yeah, fantastic work. She's, I think she gets overshadowed in Brokeback Mountain, but she delivers in that time. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we got to talk about that one back in January. That was a blast. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, her and Anne Hathaway are really good in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Without a doubt. I loved her in uh, recently the greatest showman. She was really good in that. She's my favorite. She's my favorite part in that. Yeah. And I, it was, I think we talked about this in Brokeback, but it's so weird to see her in Venom. It's just so, so outside is, of her zone. Yeah, that is by far and away the strangest role like that she's chosen. It's like, I mean, I get it. You know, it probably paid a lot, but what the hell? Yeah, and she's going to be in part two. Yeah. Oh, well, she's awesome, man. She's she's just well, she's one of those people. It's like, it seems like she was born to do it. <laughs> Character actor favorites Ted Levine, Jackie Earl Haley, and John Carroll Lynch all appear in minor roles as well, Ugh. rounding out an insanely talented cast that all act circles around each other. <laughs> the cast of this movie is unfucking real. Yeah. It's just the bit parts. I mean, Ted Levine has like one, like less than two minutes of screen time, but it's such a cool scene. Just yeah, driving that's, Teddy. That scene the- is brilliant. <laughs> That's Especially the spirit. knowing that knowing the twist, it really makes that scene so much more sinister because he's going to break the illusion. <laughs> like, yes. Just, just to yeah. fuck with him. <laughs> oh, so great. I love Ted Levine to death. He's one of my favorite character actors. Oh, me too. And then, I mean, I think we both are very, very into John Carroll Lynch's work. Uh, Zodiac, The Invitation. He's just. It's gotten uh, to the point where when he pops up on screen, I will literally go, hey, look. <laughs> it's and immediately be in a better mood it's yeah. so cool <laughs> yeah he 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 has something about him and you know you like you said he has that he has that bit part at the beginning of the film where it just sets the fucking tone and he's you know smoking the cigar and he's like oh i'm taking you up to ash cliff like you're like all oh, right <laughs> fuck <laughs> i don't know if i'm ready for this <laughs> oh boy Shutter Island has an IMDb score of 8.1. Whew. Whoa, whoa really? Yeah, I know. I, I was really shocked at that. Wow. And then a Rotten Tomatoes score of 68%. Okay, that seems so, more more like it, yeah. It was a big old hit, grossing $294 million on a budget of $80 million. Scores easy. Back in 2016, Filmgasm contributor Kayla Leger gave this film a 9 out of 10. And let's see why. Let's see if we can figure out why. <laughs> okay, so we open. Okay, on... well, well, hold on. So we yeah. we know we know because you were a review as well. You give it a seven. I did, yes. Uh, and we we know I like it. I don't quite like it as much as a nine. I'm right there in the middle. I'm at an eight. Um, okay. And I'm more holding on to that eight because of sentimental value. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I'm very I very much understand uh, your your stance on it. But I, I, I would be very curious to hear Caleb's thoughts on it because uh, people who are obsessed with Shutter Island, yeah. they can talk about it for hours, you know, it can they just keep going, keep going. So that would be fascinating. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'd love to hear his thoughts on this movie. Uh, so y- we open with U.S. Marshals Teddy Daniels and Chuck Owl or Owl. Owl? I don't know how to say his name. Chuck. Yeah, <laughs> They're, yeah, on a ferry boat. Yeah, yeah. They're on a ferry boat headed towards. Shutter Island, an island that ha- houses Ashcliff Mental Asylum for the criminally insane. So two marshals going to a 
an isolated island home to a mental hospital for the criminally insane. Great concept. Already, like, you know, terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to the island because there's a, pa- a patient escaped. They can't find her. So the marshals have been called in to identify or uh, locate this woman. Teddy is ill. He's sweating. He's vomiting. He's seasick. He says, you know, it's just water. He can't get himself together. He goes yeah, drink. right right there. <laughs> right there at the beginning, you see that uh, he's he seems to have lost his cigarettes, right? Yeah. Bullshit. He didn't lose those, man. Those were planted. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark Ruffalo is like, hey, I got some, you know, and they're making them sick. <laughs> so, uh, But right away, <laughs> you kind of get this creepy, creepy vibe of what, what exactly is the relationship here between these two guys? They don't know each other. Yeah. Uh, well, why is he so seasick? Has he never been on a boat before? You're just kind of confused. He loses. He's just disarrayed. Teddy is. He's just out, out of sorts. And this is your intro to him. This is the first time yeah. you see Teddy is just beating the fuck down and ill and not having his shit together in the slightest. Yeah. Kind of, kind of losing it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we find out later, like, of course, he hates water. Why? Yep. I would hate water, too, if what happened to him happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And uh, he goes to talk to Chuck, his new partner. Already strange. Like, why doesn't U.S. Marshal Teddy, who's apparently a legend in the Marshal's office, have a seasoned partner? Like, they just give him this dude Chuck. There's so many holes in the story. But yeah. There's a reason for that. Yes. And uh, him and Chuck are talking, and uh, Chuck asks him about his home life, and Teddy reveals that his wife's dead. She died in an apartment fire several years ago. Chuck, sorry he brought it up, but he calls Teddy boss the whole time. That's his like nickname for Teddy, and uh, says that you know Teddy's a legend. So we're already we have this standard of Ted. Teddy Daniels is a well-respected, seasoned marshal who knows his shit he knows his way around so that's what we get from chuck chuck's here to kind of remind us that teddy's a badass yeah yeah they get to the island the ferry captain mentions it's gonna be a big storm teddy and chuck meet deputy warden mcpherson john carroll lynch yes takes them into the mental hospital grounds and the high walls make it look like a prison there's an electrified fence and the buildings and grounds look like kind of a college campus the A ward has the male patients. The B ward has the female patients. And C ward is this giant fort where they put the very dangerous people. For the criminally insane. Yeah, those are the monsters. Yeah, the and, whole- and yeah. let's talk about how powerful the uh, – as you get to the island, you know, that's a really nice wide shot of the island as you get there. And the music is really cool. It's like swelling. Bam, bam, bam. And, and as, as you, like, get to the island, yeah, you're just you're, – you're kind of – I remember the first time I saw this, I was just like, I have no idea what I'm in for, you know? And that's that's a great feeling. Oh, for sure. For sure. This Actually, the opening of this movie reminds me so much of Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. Not, nice. What Going to this isolated island, not really sure why you're there, no way to get out. And then the character of Teddy Daniels heavily inspired by Dashiell Hammett, Sam Spade. Yeah. These typical like fifties, you know, listen here, see kind of detective guys. Yeah. Come on boss. Yeah. 
But Leo's mental instability offsets that macho, you know, testosterone to kind of create a leveled character. It's it's really smart. Like the writing is not at fault here. I really like this character. I like the, like all the characters. I think pop. It's just it's just that goddamn twist. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, literally the that, only that, thing I don't that like. Can, that can do it, man. I mean, <laughs> if something is building and building and building and then it has this like, wait, what? That's I, I totally understand. I know. I'm just talking my way through this. I'm like, I wish this. I wish I liked this movie. Yeah, because yeah, it. because it does. It looks <laughs> spectacular. The production design is on is on a you know, very high level. Oh, for sure. So McPherson tells Chuck and Teddy that they can't go in Ward C unless they have written uh, approval from McPherson and Dr. Cauley, and they have accompaniment. And Deputy Warden McPherson tells them they have to give up their firearms. And Teddy says, you know, we're federal agents. We don't have to surrender anything. And McPherson tells them that federal penitentiary law overrides that. And while they're on this island, the local uh, security has final say. And they try, you know, Teddy's like, fine. And he hands him his weapon. Chuck has issues getting the holster off his pants. <laughs> and Teddy's like, are you are you kidding me? <laughs> fucking fish like, like you're the guy they sent me <laughs> so they hand over their weapons mcpherson leads them into the uh into the grounds they meet dr Cauley, who explains a bit about the facility and what his goals here are to do he believes that if you can talk to a person talk to a mentally uh impaired person understand their point of view you can help them wow what crazy wild right <laughs> In the 50s, this was crazy. Very radical, yeah. Yeah. There was a time when it was just like, if they're even remotely a little odd, throw them in a cage and never let society see them again. Throw them some pills occasionally. But he's trying to kind of make psychiatry uh, less brutish, make it more mainstream, make it less less, uh, fearsome. But on the other side of this is people who believe in surgical techniques like lobotomies, where you can just carve up a guy's brain and make him uh, passive forever. We saw that in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And it's fucked up, and you should never do that to a human being. Ugh, it would just erase who they are like that. It's really disturbing. Yeah. So, Cauley's trying to make a case for his way of psychiatry. And uh, Teddy has a splitting headache from the ferry trip. Dr. Cauley gives him some aspirin. And he explains why they're there. Says a uh, a patient, Rachel, has escaped the night before. But apparently she's vanished. And uh, she's at Shutter Island because she drowned her kids. Three children. She drowned them and then pretended that they'd never died. She believes that she's still at her house and that everyone in the asylum is neighbors, delivery men, mailmen. She can't accept that she's killed anyone or that her children are even dead. What a crazy mindset to have that you can do something so horrific that it breaks you and convinces you that it never happened. Jesus, our our minds are weird. <laughs> it, it, extremely and and vast and can change within moments because it takes an experience to change you know so if yeah. you go through something yeah go through something painful 
like uh like teddy did uh, then yeah it's can really fuck you up obviously it's, it's so sad oh, but but sure. movies movies like this obviously like one flew over is one of my favorite movies of all time movies like this fascinate me uh the mind you know life of the mind is like the most life of most, the mind. yeah it's one of the most interesting <laughs> you know interesting ways to you know make art is like just talking about what's going on inside you without a doubt and uh so teddy kind of dismisses this like well she's crazy you know why should we if you think you can help this lady she's she she became beyond help the second she killed her children so teddy's very dismissive of the of the the patients he keeps calling them inmates or prisoners uh so they tour the rest of the island the officers are combing the island for rachel they're saying that if she jumped into the ocean she would have the current would have dragged her back and she would have died she would have drowned and washed up on the rocks but there's no one there there's a lighthouse on the other side of the island that's gated off and there's armed guards teddy a little suspicious of this keeps that in his mind and uh teddy makes it clear that he's got to interview staff and patients he's got to go through the personnel records but Collie's like no of course not and he's like but we have to we have to do that i'm, I'm a marshal and he's like no it's annoying how dismissive Collie is to teddy until you realize why and uh they go to the living quarters and they interview the staff about the night that rachel disappeared and in her cell they find a loose floorboard and a handwritten note saying the law of four who is 67 Ooh, mysterious the staff don't really help him uh teddy and chuck ask about her but they note that she attended group therapy and then she went to her room and disappeared. Everyone who was on duty that night is kind of like, yeah, we didn't see anything. During the meeting, it's revealed that the staff phys- physician who conducted the meeting, Dr. Sheehan, is gone. He left that morning on the ferry to go on vacation. And Teddy's like, are you kidding me? The, a dangerous mental patient just escaped and there's a lockdown and her doctor is just take just gets to go home, go on vacation. Are you kidding me? So there's an air of suspicion. Teddy's thinking, you know, things aren't adding up here. Something's weird. Something weird is going on at this at this asylum. And uh, there's a series of dream sequences, flashbacks about Teddy's time in World War II as a soldier. And Teddy has uh, internal conversations with himself in which his dead wife, Dolores, kind of talks to him and gives him some direction. In one flashback, we see that Teddy's unit was the first to arrive at the Dachau concentration camp. Oof. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of, there's thousands of dead Jews. Teddy uh, particularly remembers a dead woman and her dead child in her arms in the middle of a pile of bodies. And Teddy remembers watching the German commander try to kill himself, but he fucked up and shot himself in the face. And it took him like an hour to die. The German tries to reach out for the gun to finish the job, but Teddy slides the gun away, <laughs> letting making him suffer. <clears throat> Jesus. And uh, in other dreams, Dolores discovers a lot of empty bottles of alcohol. He explains that what he saw in the war is the reason he drinks so much. So Teddy is it's pretty fucked up. He's got a lot of dark memories. A lot of bad things have happened to Teddy. And they're constantly with him. He hasn't moved on. And uh, this is, yeah, this is the guy investigating the escaped pa- men, uh, patient. 
So if on a second viewing, if you know what's going to happen, if you know the twist, you can pick up on all of these things about, you know, why, you know, Teddy's so fucked up, how this is not a real investigation and all that. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right from the beginning, the, the cigarettes and the uh, Chuck not being able to pull his gun out of his holster. So he takes the whole holster out. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Are, are little tells that, yeah, he's being he's being manipulated. Yep. So after the meeting with the staff, Dr. Colley has Teddy and Chuck over to his mansion on the island to have a drink. When they arrive, they meet Dr. Nehring in the den, and he appears to be Dr. Colley's superior. Teddy immediately doesn't like him when he picks up a German accent, and he starts talking to Dr. Nehring in German. And it's, oof. <laughs> Dr. Nehring's amused, comments on Teddy's remarkable defense mechanisms. Dr. Nehring says that Chuck and Teddy are men of violence, and this offends Chuck. The doctor says he doesn't mean that they're violent men, only that they are men who have seen violence and do not shy away from it because running is not an option. That's why they were both in the army. Teddy gets angry when they say that they've consulted the board of directors who have refused to release the staff's personnel records. Teddy breaks a glass, threatens to end the investigation in the morning and turn his uh, case over to the FBI and storms off. The next day... The storm has hit the island, so there's no ferry. A hurricane's about to happen. Teddy was only bluffing the night before. He does not intend to leave without investigating this island. Teddy and Chuck have several interviews with the patients who were in the group therapy session with Rachel. This scene is very interesting. And uh, we get to see the different types of people that are on this island. They're not very helpful, and they all seem to be following a script. They say very similar things about Dr. Sheehan and Rachel. In one interview, a woman asks Chuck for a glass of water, and when he leaves, she grabs his notebook and runs and writes something very quickly and gives it back to him. Uh, so one of the guys that Teddy interviews is this guy who ripped a woman's face off, and he deliberately uh, fucks with the guy by scribbling real hard in his notebook to make the guy irritated by the noise. So I love that Teddy hates these people. Because he is these people. He did something horrific too. Yeah. But yeah, he, yeah, and he he wants to be in control so bad. His hatred of these people is his way of distancing himself from what he did. And it's so overcompensational. Like just straight up. Yeah. But <laughs> Leo, <laughs> Leo fucking Leo, man. <clears throat> Excuse me. At the same time, these guys are very unlikable. I mean, this man murdered another woman like just for the fuck of it. And that other woman killed her husband. I don't. It's just it's tough to to uh, to feel for people like this, you know. I mean, are they mentally inst- unstable or are they just killers? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Who who's to judge that? Who's to decide? So, Teddy and Chuck leave the hospital ground, start exploring the island. They end up at a cemetery. They think, you know, if Rachel was you know, let out on purpose or killed, this would be a great place to dump the body. Uh, suddenly the wind and the rain pick up and they end up uh, in a mausoleum for shelter. And Chuck asks Teddy to level with him. He knows that the last, that patient told him something. Teddy shows him the notebook and it says the word run. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. 
Teddy explains why he's here. He was trying to get assigned to an investigation of this place specifically. He was trying to get this case. He says a man named Andrew Latis was a maintenance worker at the apartment they lived in, and he's the arsonist who set the fire that killed his wife. He got off on a technicality, was later caught when he killed somebody else, went to a mental hospital. It was this one. But when Teddy looked into it, there's no paperwork on Latis, and he suspects there's a conspiracy going on. He mentions Nazi experiments and wonders if his own government is involved in psychotropic drug research using this island as a base of operations. He tells Chuck he came across a prisoner named George Noyce, who was actually sent here some time before, got out, and told Teddy about the crazy research going on here. Chuck throws another layer to this conspiracy, gets paranoid, and says that maybe with Teddy's poking around, he got the attention of Shutter Island, and they arranged the disappearance of Rachel as an excuse to draw him here as a marshal, and so they can make him disappear. <laughs> you don't know what to believe. As an audience member, you're like, what? What? Ah. Yeah, what is Chuck talking about? Why is he all of a sudden, like, super involved? Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. <laughs> Teddy's not sure about that. He doesn't want to believe that. But Chuck is pretty convincing. Suddenly the door busts in and there's a car spotlight on them. It's Ward, Deputy Warden McPherson. He's been looking for them. And he takes them back to the hospital. They change out of their wet suits. The orderly gives them staff white uniforms that make them look like patients. But uh, he tells them it's about a day or two to get their suits back from the dry cleaner. They don't like the whites, takes them anyway, and the orderly says their smokes were ruined, but he gives them two new packs of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the cigarettes. And I, I love how, yeah, they're like, oh, you'll get your suit pack. Uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was that was your costume for a little bit. You were playing. <laughs> the, I, I, the idea that, like, you know, oh, it'll be just a couple days on pretty much everything reminded me of uh, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? When uh, Everett's trying to buy the Dapper Dan, and they're like, <laughs> I can order it for you, have it in a couple of weeks. And he's like, well, ain't this place a geographical oddity? Two weeks from everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I was, I was thinking of that. <laughs> Perfect. One of my favorite scenes in that movie. <laughs> uh, so Teddy and Chuck go to Dr. Colley's office again. They argue about the investigation. Suddenly, Teddy gets ill with a massive migraine. He thinks he's going to be okay, but he starts to fall. Chuck catches him. The doctor gives him a couple pills. Teddy doesn't want to take them. He's, he's sick, though. The doctor insists he take them, so Teddy takes the pills. Chuck helps him down to the basement with all the rest of the staff to wait out the hurricane. Just before he dozes off, he sees a evil-looking guy. The orderly says it's the warden, and that's Ted Levine. The warden kind of glares at Teddy right before Teddy falls asleep. So why does the warden have a beef with Teddy? Well, we find out later. <laughs> Teddy has another dream sequence with his wife who tells him that Rachel's on the island and that he needs to help her. In a dream, Teddy's in Dr. Colley's den and sees Latus in his chair by the fire. Latus is played by Elias Codius. Latus has a really freaky scar running from his right eye to his left, left side of his chin. So he just looks like a monster. He looks like an arsonist, straight up. <laughs> yeah, it looks like, yeah, that guy could totally set somewhere on fire and uh, kill a bunch of people. Oh, yeah. The next day is insane. The backup generators fail. All the patient's cell doors are opened. 
trees are falling over the hospital campus with staff and officers trying to clean up everything as well as get all the patients rounded up. And Teddy and Chuck uses that as an opportunity to take advantage of the of the confusion and go to to the Ward C building. The, and inside there is really dark, reminded me so much of Arkham Asylum from the Batman franchise. Uh, yeah, this this might be the peak of the film. Oh, yeah. A patient runs from from them. They chase him. Chuck falls behind. The patient grabs Teddy from behind, starts choking him. Teddy gets away and beats the shit out of the guy till Chuck pulls him off. A guard chews out Teddy, has Chuck help him take the patient to the medical center, telling Teddy to go take a walk. Because they think that Teddy and Chuck are orderlies. Yes. Teddy wanders around, finds a row of cells where a prisoner is sitting by himself and saying the name Latus. When Teddy demands the prisoner look at him, he realizes the prisoner is George Noyce, the former patient who got out, who is now back in Shutter Island. Noyce's face is just beaten to hell. Teddy can't believe he's back here and asks him, like, what the hell are you doing here? Noyce is yelling him, he's yelling at him that it's all about Latus. He tells Teddy the only way he can save Noyce is to forget his wife and Latus and focus on what's going on here. Teddy looks guilty when Noyce tells him it's his fault that Noyce is back here as he kept asking about Latus. This part's a bit confusing. You really kind of have to pay attention uh, with the dialogue to kind of stay in it a little bit. Great bit performance by Jackie O'Haley here. Incredible, yeah. George Noyce, man. He's uh, just crazy, well-written character. Jackie O'Haley is such an underappreciated performer. That guy is truly, awesome. Truly, yeah. <laughs> he's he's one of those guys that... um. Yeah, I think I, I think you and I. Yeah, who, oh, when did we talk? Oh, yeah, the Watchmen. Duh. Watchmen. Yeah. Um, we talked about him, how much we love that role, and how he's he's probably the best part of that movie. And he just uh, he he fucking brings it every time. I don't know if I talked about this in the Watchmen podcast, but I'll talk about it here if I if I've done it before. Well, you're gonna hear it again, guys. Um, I saw Jackie O'Haley once in Austin. Yeah. I was um I was at a Bill Burr comedy show, and. Me and, wonderful. Me and, yeah, I know. Me and Sean were seeing Bill Burr. And when it was over, Sean looked behind him, suddenly got really tense and w- told me, like, dude, look over there. It's 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 Rorschach. And I'm like, what? I look behind me. Jackie Earl Haley is in the fucking seat behind me, like right behind me. He was right oh, there man. the That's whole time. So awesome. I was like, fuck, it's Rorschach. It's and- George Noyce. <laughs> I was too I was too uh, starstruck. I didn't say anything. I wish I had. Yeah, Ugh. I mean, I mean, yeah. You gotta throw some kind of quote at him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Yeah, he's the man. Teddy promises Noyce he's gonna get him out of there. Noyce tells him that Latus is not in the C building. They've taken him to the lighthouse where they're gonna lobotomize him. He said the lighthouse is where they do the experiments. Noyce. Teddy questions him, says, like, tells him, you know, uh, Noyce questions him about Chuck, saying Chuck's a plant by the government to follow Teddy. He asks him whether he's worked with Chuck before, and Teddy's like, no, we know that they haven't. They're new partners. Teddy catches up with Chuck. They head towards the office. Dr. Colley says they found Rachel. Well, how convenient. They go to her cell, and there's a weird scene well, first off, there's no scratches. Rachel's completely uh, fine, despite having been out in the elements barefoot for like three days. Yeah. And uh, she's 
as we established earlier, earlier, Rachel thinks that all of this is a illusion that she's still in her house, that everyone there works for, you know, various deliveries. And she thinks that Teddy is her husband and start and hugs him and then starts screaming at him that he's dead. Why are you back here? At some point, Teddy's dreams now include Rachel as the woman with her daughter in the pile of bodies at Dachau. This time they open their eyes and look at him. The girl asks him why he didn't save her. He says he tried, but the soldiers just didn't get there in time. In another scene, Rachel's bloody. She's at Teddy and his wife's vacation cottage. They go outside. Teddy sees the little girl, picks her up, and carries her to the water. The little girl asks him again why he didn't save her. Hmm. Did we already uh, pass the point where Teddy and his uh, soldiers massacred all the guards at, D- at Dachau? Yes, that is not in here. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was a brutal fucking scene. But Yeah, extremely. Those those are probably the most impressive, like, uh, directed scenes, right? Are the ones where he's back, yeah, yeah where, where it's almost like a War II film for a second. And it's just like, holy shit, Scorsese's got the stuff. You know, he just knows what he's doing. And those, yeah. are, those, those are really incredible scenes. But they, they kind of are hard to, like, fit in or describe because they are just... Uh, they're they're visually like stunning and devastating parts of the movie. Well, they're dream sequences. It's part of it's, it exactly. Was, yeah, you're getting a glimpse into Teddy's fractured psyche here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Teddy and Chuck leave. Chuck says he found Latus's file, but the only thing in there was his commitment paper. And when he tries to show Teddy, Teddy says he's not. He won't look at it now. He's, he wants to get to the lighthouse. This he's been searching for proof of Latus's existence. This island. Chuck finds it. Teddy can't be bothered to look at it. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's there's new yeah new stuff to to focus on. Teddy is a little suspicious of Chuck when he tries to talk him out of going to the lighthouse. They arrive at the cliffs over the ocean, realize they got they're too far south. Teddy says he's going to go around and try to get a different way. Chuck again tries to talk him out of it because it's dangerous to scale the cliffs. It's going to be dark soon. Teddy says he's fuck it. He's going to go by himself. He gets near the lighthouse, finds it's late enough in the day that the tide has cut the. Uh, Cut off the lighthouse from the island. He gives up. Goes back to where Chuck is. Tell him they'll try later. But all he sees is a burning cigarette on the edge of the cliff. He looks over. Sees Chuck at the bottom of the cliff with waves crashing over him. Shocked, Teddy climbs down. Does not see Chuck at the bottom. He sees a cave in the side of the cliff with a fire inside. He reaches the cave. He sees a woman armed with a knife. They begin talking. Who is she? The real Rachel. Played by Patricia Clarkson. Yes, really, really nice performance from her. Yeah. Rachel says she was a doctor at the hospital who found out too much. They committed her and concocted a story that she killed her kids. The other Rachel's an imposter used to fool the marshals. Interesting. New layer to this. She says there's a secret government program to test a number of new drugs on the patients to turn them into super soldiers. They'll erase their memories so they can they can't be tortured and uh, to give information if they're captured. They don't feel pain. Interesting. And Teddy's like, that would be worth millions, like be unstoppable. And she says that, well, they're not going to let you leave. You've seen too much. They're going to concoct a story about how Teddy went crazy. She asked if he had a serious trauma. And yeah, I could fucking say yes, he did. And says they're going to use that to say he cracked. She asks if she's taken any if he's taken any medication or eaten the food or smoked any of their cigarettes. And he's like, fuck. Oh, she's like, well, don't tell me you ate their food. At least tell me you didn't smoke their cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's just Cigar. like, oh, Jesus. shit. Yeah. 
She says it takes about 48 hours for these drugs to take effect and make him pliable. The first sign is going to be tremors in his hands, which he already has. She questions. She again questions whether Chuck's even a marshal, that he's probably a government agent sent to go with him to the island. Teddy gets back to the road. She says, you can't stay here. They'll find me. He sees a Jeep pull up with the warden. The warden takes him back to the facility, and they have a very strange conversation about them both being men of violence. The warden tells him that men like them know how to use violence and use it well. He asks Teddy, if, he, if I were to reach over and try to bite your eye out, would you be able to stop me? <laughs> Jesus. Little Buffalo Bill. <laughs> Unbelievable. Teddy says, why don't you try and we'll find out. <laughs> oh, the warden smiles. Teddy leaves to confront Dr. Colley, who wonders where the hell Teddy's been. Teddy says he'll be leaving, and he asks if the doctor's seen Chuck, his partner. And Dr. Colley says, you came alone. There was no partner. Whoa. <laughs> Not going to lie. I got pretty creeped out when he said that. <laughs> yeah, well, it completely throws so much of what you know out the window. You're like, you're like, wait, well, wait a minute. Are, it's, it's full on manipulation at that point. But what do we really know? That's the question. Exactly, because it it really it really still the story can be interpreted however really you want. True. So Teddy just kind of like tries to throw Dr. Carly off and says, "My mistake." Realizes they're already trying to put their plan into action. He leaves, walks around the grounds, trying to decide what to do next. He sees Dolores, who tells him to leave the island and don't go to the lighthouse. The lighthouse will destroy him. And in a way, she's right. Uh, he decides to create a diversion by blowing up Dr. Colley's car <laughs> so he can sneak to the lighthouse. He uses his tie, soaks it in gas, lights it, car explodes. He runs, he runs Arsonist. out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I've thought about this movie a lot. There's too many signs <laughs> that he, I mean, who the fuck does that, dude? <laughs> like, uh, oh, I need to get somebody, somebody's attention. That is not even something that runs through my mind. Like, I'm going to blow, blow up that car. That car. Yeah, that's some Walter White shit, man. <laughs> well, you shouldn't speak loudly at the bank. <laughs> no, yeah, you definitely shouldn't do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So he swims over to the lighthouse, sneaks up behind a guard, knocks him out, takes his rifle. Uh he runs up the stairs of the lighthouse to the top, checking each room. He gets to the top, finds Dr. Cawley sitting behind a desk. Teddy holds the rifle on him while he's talking. Doctor says the rifle is empty. Did you kill the guard? He says no. The doctor calls down anyway to tell the people below to attend to the guard before they come up. Teddy sees his gun from the beginning on the doctor's desk. Dr. Cawley reveals what's really been happening in the movie. Teddy is a patient at the hospital. He's been there for two years. Teddy doesn't believe him, says he's a U.S. Marshal. The doctor says he was, but he had a breakdown two years ago when his kids were killed by their mother. And Teddy says he doesn't have kids. Dr. T Colley says they've been trying to use this new drug therapy to help him, and they've been trying to do everything they can to treat him. He says he's their most dangerous patient. And the warden and his people want to lobotomize him to make him manageable, these last couple of days have been a massive role play to get Teddy to finally face what he did. And what he did was murder his wife because she killed his children. <sighs> Dark day. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He calls in Chuck. 
who's actually Dr. Sheehan, the doctor who went on vacation. He's a psychiatrist. He's Teddy's psychiatrist who, who agreed to play along with this fantasy, keep tabs on him. Dr. Colley tells Eddie that his real name is Andrew Latis and that Edward Daniels is an anagram of that name. Very smart, that bit. <laughs> and uh, all the uh, Rachel Solando, I think was her name. Yeah, yeah. And Dolores Chanel. Ch Channel, yeah, that's what it was. Rachel Solando turns into Dolores Channel. So Teddy's been using these anagram names to create a f completely new identity for himself in order to create distance from his real name. The doctor points out George Noyce was a fellow patient who had Teddy attacked a few days before because he called him Latus. The doctor shows him the transcript of what Noyce said to him in the cell earlier, and he tells Teddy that the reason he beat up Noyce was, yeah, Noyce called him by his real name. Teddy grabs his gun off the table, tries to shoot Dr. Colley, but he realizes it's a toy gun. He breaks it open. It's a toy. Like they're going to give an unstable mental patient a real gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he tells Teddy that he has completely erased everything he did wrong in an attempt to make himself the hero of his own story. We see a flashback, the saddest, Jesus Christ, hard to watch scene in the movie. Leo and Michelle do such a fantastic, unbelievable job in this scene. Yes. So real. Uh, Andrew Latis <clears throat> comes home to his cottage. His wife's acting strangely. She says, um, he asks where the kids are, and she says they're in school. He says it's Saturday, and she says they're in her school. And he looks towards the lake. Teddy sees a body in the lake. He's horrified. He runs into the lake and sees his three kids are drowned in the lake. He's crying uncontrollably. He grabs them, tries to do CPR, doesn't take. He places them on the ground. His wife hugs him, says they should put the kids at the dining room table and have dinner. Teddy's crying and says that if she ever loved him, she should stop talking. Jesus. Rough. She says she loves him. And he shoots her. He says, yeah, she's laying there, blood on her. She dies. His whole life, his whole world has been completely destroyed in one day. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Teddy now realizes he has, he has a choice between accepting the truth or continuing to deny it. The doctor makes it clear that if he can't accept the truth, he's going to be lobotomized. He makes Teddy admit that he blamed himself for not real, realizing that his wife was having trouble. He, yeah, Andrew Latis admits Teddy Daniels was fake and he created this illusion because he hated himself for killing his wife because of what she did. The next day, he and Dr. Sheehan are sitting on some steps by the hospital grounds and Teddy says, we got to get off this rock, Chuck. And Dr. Sheehan nods and looks over to the other doctors and shakes his head. So sad. Chuck says, what do you think, boss? What's our next move? Chuck and Teddy asks Chuck whether it's better to live as a monster or die a good man. He stands up and willingly goes with the orderlies as he would rather choose to continue his fantasies than accept the horrors of his reality. However, that's not what I think. I, th you know, I think he was cured, but he can't live with that. He can't live with what happened. And he'd rather lose his identity than stay with that. 
And I think Chuck or Dr. Sheehan knows that. He knows what he's giving up. But you can kind of look at it either way. But that twist for me just completely wipes out the the idea of a you know a mental hospital masquerading as a secret government like facility where they're testing mind control patients, like mind control drugs on patients. That sounds like such a cooler movie to me. Yeah, and it really is that to a certain extent uh, until yeah, like you said, until they really un- unveil that twist. And then when you rewatch it, you're like really watching. Leo's performance and you're like oh yeah there's clearly all these signs that this place is you know manipulative and uh, is doing certain things but but he's crazy and um, I, I don't know you know I've heard I've heard all kinds of theories uh, about about this movie um, I, I don't exactly think I have something on the on the nose that I I think yeah um, but but I, I man I enjoy the journey uh, most of the journey anyway uh, is, is is a fun ride and, and Leo, Leo is just doing so much with this performance. He's, he's all over the place, man. It's awesome. He can do so much with, like, the worst movie. Leo's so good at that. He's so good at using everything at his disposal to deliver a great performance. Yeah, yeah. So here's some filmgasm facts for you. Number one, Mark, Mark Ruffalo won the role of Chuck after sending Martin Scorsese a fan letter saying how much he wanted to work with him. <laughs> That's cool. Number two, the title... Shutter Island is an anagram of truths and lies. Fantastic. Or truths slash denials. So <laughs> no way that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And number three, Teddy Daniels final line to Chuck. This place makes me wonder which will be worse to live as a monster or die as a good man is not in Dennis Lehane's book. Nope. And it inspired an article in The Guardian over what the movie's ending really meant. While Leo and Scorsese did not have concrete answers, psychiatric advisor Dr. James Gilligan said that Daniels did choose his fate, and he chose it as Andrew Latus. Gilligan said that Daniels' guilt over his past actions, especially his role in causing his wife to lose her mind and murder their children, led him to commit a form of suicide by giving the Shutter Island staff the green light to lobotomize him. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Killigan. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense to me. He also said this movie's treatment of Daniel succeeded because he did face his delusions, but failed in that his apparently fake retained psychosis gave the pro lobotomy doctors a win in the debate over their methods versus new non surgical treatments. So while Teddy won his own war, the psychiatry psychiatry uh, cr- uh, profession did not. <laughs> and I give Shutter Island a seven. Their performances are fantastic. The tone is creepy and tense, but the twist just completely destroys the movie I thought I was watching, only to give away give away to something far less intriguing. Yeah, yeah. I, like I said earlier, I give it an eight. I, I do think, yeah, there's like a direction this movie could take where, like you said, they are actually like essentially kidnapping American citizens and using them for science, which is like so fucking creepy. And uh, yeah, I, you know, for a minute, you you know, especially the first time you see this movie. You think that's where it's going. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's not totally satisfying. But like you said, the performances are awesome. Uh, The tone, the music, all all of those things, all those things that Scorsese normally does well are there. Uh, It just as far as the plot goes, yeah, I think it could have been a little stronger. Um, I don't think the book totally translates to screen. Maybe they could have just taken some liberties and changed some things. I have no problem with that. As long as it makes a good product, um, I don't think it matters too much. So. Uh, yeah, no, I'm really glad we did 
did this, man. I, I think it was a good one to to revisit, you know, and uh, get that validation. I agree. So what are we doing for Friday? Friday, stay in the Scorsese realm. Uh, I think it's also fair to do um, Leonardo DiCaprio as well. Uh, so a, you know, Scorsese, Leo uh, duo movie. And uh, out of the 2002 uh, Gangs of New York, man. Gangs of New York. Fantastic fucking watch. Fun to talk about. Semi based on a true story, uh, which we'll get into detail on. And uh, that's a fantastic movie. That is going to be a fun episode. Yeah, that is. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Uh, again, you know, uh, Scorsese and Leo, one of the most iconic uh, modern director actor duos ever. I think that'll be our first Daniel Day Lewis movie. Yes, it will. Ooh. <laughs> well, what else? What, what else would we have done? Yeah, I mean, you know. I'm sure we'll do an episode on There Will Be Blood eventually. Well, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> the that's Crucible. That's definitely, definitely yeah. yeah. I mean, I could do uh, on all of them. I'll do My Left Foot. I'll do Last of the Mohicans. I'll do, yeah, you know, Age of Innocence. I'll do any of those, man. But uh, <laughs> it, it feels right that uh, Bill the Butcher is the first character we're going to dissect of his. Oh, fuck yeah. So let's take a look at what happened this week in film. The upcoming Venom sequel has been delayed to June 2021 and was also given a title venom let there be carnage okay oh boy i am so excited for this <laughs> yeah you, you and i are like two of the only people on earth who liked venom i don't know man i mean it was like what 800 million box office i think no i know i know it made a lot of yeah. money but i feel like like movie people were just kind of like eh, whatever you know oh yeah everyone dismissed it i thought it was fucking cool yeah no i mean it's always gonna make money you know tom hardy superhero shit yeah come on <laughs> I'm excited to see Woody Harrelson take on Carnage, who's one of my favorite Spider-Man villains. Me too. Such a psychopath. And I hope they get a hard R. I really hope they do. And uh, Andy Serkis is directing. So, like, so many good things about this one. Yeah, you know, yeah, it could be a gem. Next up, there is a Hunger Games prequel film in the works, based on Suzanne Collins' upcoming prequel novel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And I don't care. <laughs> I don't think yeah. anybody cares anymore. No, yeah, that came and went. You know, it's um, yeah, no, I'm good. I don't need any more of that. Hunger Games was hot shit for like two years, and then <laughs> it completely disappeared. <laughs> and then nothing. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I think this is gonna bomb hard. Agreed. Next up, there is a Whitney Houston biopic in the works, currently titled "I Want to Dance with Somebody." It's going to be written by Anthony McCartan, writer of Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm, I don't I'll probably see it. I don't really know enough about Whitney to care about this, but I don't know. We'll see. I got to see a preview first. Yeah, that's I think that's a big teller with uh, biopics. Yeah, like I'm very much looking forward to uh, Jennifer Hudson's Aretha Franklin movie. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's going to be wonderful. That off the fucking charts. Good. <laughs> yeah, Second Jennifer Oscar. Hudson's awesome. Yeah. Great choice. My God. She's got yeah. the range to take on Aretha's songs. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, that's a good call. Uh, Oscar nominated actress Shirley Knight has died at age 83 from natural causes. She had been nominated for her performances in 1960s The Dark at the Top of the Stairs and 1962's Sweet Bird of Youth. She also appeared in As Good as It Gets as Beverly. And uh, I don't really I don't know her i'm sorry I, I don't remember her performances it's a shame 
Uh, I guess I'll have to check out her some of her stuff. Chris Pine is set to star in a reboot of The Saint, helmed by Rocketman director Dexter Fletcher. He'll be filling the shoes of Val Kilmer, who appeared in the 1997 remake of the classic 60s TV show starring Roger Moore. Again, I don't I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe if I have a lot of extra time. <laughs> I don't know why the saint is something they keep trying to make work. I don't. Uh, and neither do I. Who's at the door? Like, yeah, we need that. Like three times now they've tried with the saint. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, next up. HBO has announced a Hellraiser series with the pilot being helmed by Halloween director David Gordon Green. So very interesting, especially since they're also doing a remake of Hellraiser. So I didn't know the Hellraiser fan base was that big to warrant a remake and a TV show. But we'll see, I guess. Yeah, I'm not again, uh, not something I'm that, you know, excited for, you know. Well, I think you're going to be excited for this one. Okay, let's Karen, hear it. Kus- Karen Kusama is apparently helming a Dracula reboot for Blumhouse. Oh, wow. How about that? As part of their Monster Universe initiative started by the Invisible Man. Okay, cool. Sebastian Stan is campaigning for the title role of Count Dracula. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's that's really cool. I like that a lot. Great, Kusama? Uh, yeah, Kusama. Great fucking choice for Dracula. Yeah, holy My shit. God. <laughs> Yeah, that could be a, creepy she, as fuck, dude. She's the fucking man. Yeah, hell yeah. Finally, we could we could finally get a good Dracula movie. Which yeah, which is yeah, we we need yeah at this point with all these you know these things being rehashed, that's that's something that properly needs it. Blumhouse now doing all the Universal classics. <laughs> Perfect. Thank Perfect. you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jason Blum. I love you. <laughs> you are the man. You've done, he really, that guy he has really, done so much for horror. He really is. He's just like, let's just keep throwing money at shit, man. Let's keep it, keep <laughs> the keep the horror pumping, dude. <laughs> keep it alive. Yeah, it's awesome. Finally, and this was weird. Straight out of Compton, actor Jason Mitchell was arrested on drugs and weapons charges. Cops found two pounds of marijuana, thirteen hundred doses of ecstasy, an AK-47, and a Glock nine millimeter. In his car. Whoa. He claims the whole thing was a misunderstanding. <laughs> but he is looking at possession with intent and possession of a firearm by a felon. That is a hard time. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to have that AK-47 in my car. You know, that... <laughs> 1,300 doses of ecstasy. What the fuck was he? Go- what was he planning? Jesus I don't know. Christ. He's going to host his own Coachella, I guess. I don't know. Vic. I don't see this guy getting... I think he's going away for a while. I don't see how he gets out of this one. That is insane. Uh, fuck. Two pounds of weed, 1,300 doses of ecstasy, a fucking AK and a Glock. What in the fuck, man? Yeah. And he's like, that's not mine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a misunderstanding, man. Oh, oh, that's that's not mine. Yeah. <laughs> God damn. Uh, well, that is all for this week, or for today, <laughs> folks. <laughs> What a note to end on. I know, right? <laughs> Check out Gangs of New York on Friday. Next week, we're checking out a film that's on a lot of horror fans' minds right now during the pandemic. A coma patient in London wakes up to find the city completely deserted and soon realizes a man-made virus has wiped out most of the UK's population and turned them into rage-filled zombie creatures. We're digging into one of the most realistic zombie movies ever made and a personal favorite of mine, 
2002's 28 Days Later. Don't miss it. And also, let's get real for a bit. Seek out psychiatric help if you or your partner is suicidal or having suicidal thoughts. Help is always available. You should never think it's weak to ask for it. These times especially, it's tough to, to lean on people. Stay safe out there, listeners, and we'll see you Friday. Peace. Mm-hmm.